um, not really through, but I just happened to land on John 4 one Sunday, and then God's had me just like really stuck in this book. And um, I remember, you know, when I was young, I would read the book of John, and you know, you, you guys, when, you know, when you're young, you read the Gospels, and you kind of go in that order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you always get to John, and it's so much more interesting to me, I believe, because then Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of sound similar, right? Everything's kind of in this general order, similar thing. There, it's, but then when you get to John, it's just like, just very different. It's very, it's, it's refreshing. And I believe that um, one of the, the, the things I love about the book of John and the gospel of John is that it's written by John, who was actually one of the closest friends to Jesus. Right? Um, you know that Jesus played favorites. <laughs> just like, like as parents, we tend to play favorites. Jesus had his inner circle. Right? And it was Peter, um, it, was, it was John and James. It was, it was these people that Jesus would, like, he would hang out with everybody else. And, but when he really needed to kind of, like, you know, withdraw and really needed to kind of, um, you know, pray and be alone, he would always have his favors with him. And John was considered the one that Jesus loved, right? It was the disciple. And he, he kind of self-proclaims that at the end of the Bible, at the end of the gospel. But it, all, it really is, is because he knows that, that he, Jesus truly he had this special relationship with Jesus. And it, it shows in the book. Um, there's really a lot of insight and just the way that it's written and the way that it speaks to your heart. I believe that it, it's one of, it, is one of my, it is my favorite gospel to read. And I love all of the gospels, but um, I always fall on John. And I fell on John, and I can't seem to get out of it. So this is going to be kind of like a series on John, in a sense. And it helps me out because it, I, when I preach ec- like expository sermons like this where I know what I'm going to preach next week because it's going to be the next chapter in the book. Um, it really helps me to kind of get into a rhythm. And I'm going to need that because I actually start school Tuesday. Um, Tuesday morning at 3 p.m., which is uh, California time, Monday, I believe, like 9 a.m. or something. Um, we're going to be st- I'm gonna be starting school. And so uh, it's going to be kind of hectic for me um, going on into the future. But please keep me in prayer. I need your prayers. Uh, I'm 44 years old, I'm, 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 and I haven't studied like this in this capacity in a long time, and so, um, you know, help my mind to work and, and function the way it needs to be. So I've been preaching through John, um, and last week I preached on the feeding of the 5,000. It's uh, the one miracle that's, you know, one of the, the two miracles that's actually recorded in all four Gospels, and um, it was a very public, you know, and and just, just a powerful miracle where so many people got to witness it. And I mentioned, as I preached last week, that there was a motivation that Jesus had in performing this miracle. And now we're going to talk about it today. So we're going to talk about that um, today. And uh, as we continue on throughout, throughout the rest of this chapter, we're going to kind of cover the whole, almost the whole chapter today. Um, and what happens is that Jesus, he feeds the, the multitudes. He feeds the 5,000, you know, more close to like 20,000 when you include the men and the women. And then the 12, like, and then he, like, you know, he walks on water, you know, in, in the next passage. And the 12 disciples, like, they don't know where he'd gone to, right? Like, he disappears. He gets in a boat. They get in a boat, and they start to, like, look for him, like, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then the sea becomes really rough. It says that the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're like, on, in all the, the wind and the storm is shaking, and then they see somebody walking in the water, and they freak out. They're like, who's that? What is that, right? And then they realize it's Jesus, and then they bring him on the boat. And it says that 
Then they were glad to make him into, uh, take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land in which they were going. And so, like, there's, like, this, this really weird account. Right after this crazy miracle, there's, like, this really weird account of Jesus walking on water, right? It, it wasn't the account of Peter saying, oh, I want to walk on water, too. And he goes out there, and he walks on water with Jesus, and then, you know, takes his eyes off him, and he falls. It's not that account. It's just this account where the, the, the disciples are out at sea. All of a sudden, they see Jesus, and, you know, there's a storm. He gets on the boat, and they get to where they're supposed to go. And so, you know, why did Jesus do this? Is it because he could, he can do it, right? If I was, if I could walk on water, I guarantee you, I would be out there in Kwangali Beach every day, walking on water, right? I'd be out, like those guys with the paddle boats, you know, like when the when it gets warm, there's those guys with the with the big surfboards and they're paddling around, and I just like walk by them and we're like, <laughs> you know, like silly people, right? Like, why, why was Jesus doing this? Why? I always wondered, like, what was the point? In like Jesus walking on water, and there's actually a specific specific lesson that Jesus has for his disciples. Um, they're like part like the disciples were part of this huge miracle, where all of thousands of people witnessed the feeding um, and, and the multiplication of the food, and and so they were part of this miracle, and they were actually involved in the miracle because they were passing out the bread and they were passing out the fish, and everybody started to eat, and they. And I'll bet you they started to feel a little bit important, right? They, they started to feel good about themselves. They started to, you know, feel a little bit prideful, like, hey, man, we're, we're something here. You know, thousands of people were affected by what we did. And so there's this lesson in humility. Right after they, they're part of doing this amazing miracle with Jesus, touching thousands of lives, the next mon- moment they're out at sea and, and they're facing a storm. You know, when you look at the topography of the Sea of Galilee, it's really weird because it's actually one of the low, it is, I believe, one of the lowest freshwater lakes in the world. It's like 200 meters below sea level, so it's really low. It's surrounded by mountains, and then it's actually right next to the Mediterranean Sea, which is very warm, right? So it's this place where it's cold air comes from the mountain, like warm air comes from the Mediterranean Sea, and it kind of culminates in the Sea of Galilee, and there were a lot of storms. There's a lot of storms that come up in the Sea of Galilee, and it would be, like, very sudden, and it would be very violent. And um, fishing boats that were out at sea were always uh, in danger of flipping over, being sunk at sea. And so disciples, they find themselves out at sea. They're facing this storm. And, and I believe that Jesus knew that the storm was coming, and he went out into the water so that they, he, can, he can help his disciples get back to land. In his mercy and grace, we meet, he meets his disciples out at sea, and, he, and then he brings them back to the other side. Right? I never saw, thought of this in this way. I always thought that Jesus was walking on water. He was like, hey, it's just to prove that he can walk on water. But when you realize this, it, it really is this moment of mercy and grace where they find themselves out at sea, and, and Jesus encounters them. And it's a lesson in humility and understanding that they needed Jesus. And sometimes we have storms in our lives because we disobey, right? Sometimes we have storms in our lives. Like we, Jonah is a perfect example. He, there's a storm in his life because he disobeyed. But sometimes we have storms in our lives because we obey. And it's in these storms we have to seek Jesus. We have to find him in the midst of the storm because he is with us and he will deliver us. Right? We will be, if we seek him, 
he, we will find him. And those storms that happen in our life is to refine us, is to shape us, is to discipline us, is to make us into the image of Christ. Right? Ultimately, God will use the storms in our lives to shape us if we seek and we, and we, we seek to find him in the midst of the storm. Right? And, and that's a great sermon, but that's not really my sermon today. But today we're going to cover John 6, verse 22, to the end of the chapter, or near the end of the chapter. Um, as we go along, we're going to read it. It's really long, but we're going to try to go through this whole, whole chapter. But um, So this happens. The disciples, they go out to sea looking for Jesus. Storm comes. They freak out a little bit. They see Jesus walking on water. He comes to them. They bring him on the boat. They're safely on the other side. No, it says immediately they were safe on the other side. Basically, I, I believe that it was like teleportation or like, you know, you know how, you know, Philip just like, you know, went and, and, and found himself, you know, right after the, the eunuch. Like, it, it's like that. It's like they just, they were, they were in trouble and all of a sudden they're only on the other side. Um, they're fine. And then the disciples, right, the next day, the rest of the people, the thousands of people that were following Jesus and wanted to see what he was up to, that wanted to see, uh, you know, like who he was. The thousands of people that ate the bread that Jesus multiplied, um, they realized Jesus isn't around. And so they, they, they realized, they remembered that the disciples had gone off to the other side in their boats. And so they get in their boats and they go to the other side and, and, and they, they're looking for Jesus. They're trying to, to you know, realize and try to discuss, discover where Jesus is. And now you have to understand in the, the mindset of these the thousands of people that are seeking Jesus at this time, right? They had just seen a miracle that blew their mind. They, they like, you know, like like when something like literally blows your mind. That's exactly what happened to them, right? Like they had seen Jesus take some loaves of bread and a couple of fish and feed thousands of people. And I talked about this last week, but food was very important to people back then. Right? Nowadays, you know, me living in Busan. You know, 2020, I don't think about food. You think I think about food because I look like this, right? I don't. Right? I really don't. I'm not thinking about food right now. I'm not, right? Yesterday, I was out and about, and then I, I, I got hungry, and I just, like, oh, I'm hungry. And all of a sudden, McDonald's, right? It, it, I didn't even have to try. I was just like, I found myself at a McDonald's. I didn't even have to talk to anybody, like, boop, boop, beep, boop, put it in the car, and, and then just my food appeared, right? It's just sitting there on the counter. I took it. I ate it. I was fine. And I didn't think about it again, right? I wasn't like, oh, where am I going to get my next meal? I know there's people out there in the world right now that are living like that. But for me, you know, and for many of us, food is not, so, it's not something that's on our minds like that, right? But back then, food was something very important to everybody. Like obtaining food to them was not easy. It was not commercialized the way and mass produced like the way that it's now. They didn't have freezers. Like meat would spoil like within days. You know, they didn't have things like locusts would come and, you know, like destroy their crops. And so cultivating, preparing, and selling and distributing food back then was, was a really big endeavor, right? And so when Jesus takes two pieces of fish and five loaves of barley bread and feeds like thousands of people, right, the people, they start to think like, oh, man, this dude, we got to make this guy our king. Because if we can make him our king, and if he is our king, we can get the Romans off our backs. Right? 
Because the Romans were ruling over Judea at the time, and they had to pay taxes to Caesar. And they're like, man, we can become our kingdom again. We can become our nation again. We'll never go hungry again, right? And it looks like, like this dude can multiply food. That's what they were thinking. That's what was in their minds. And so earlier in the chapter, it says that Jesus withdrew from the crowd. Jesus doesn't sneak away. He withdraws, right? I, I'll sneak away, but he just withdraws. He just kind of, he withdrew to the mountains, right? Because he knew, it says, the Bible says that he knew that the Jews were planning to take him and make him king by force. Right? They're like, dude, this guy's going to become our king because he can multiply food, right? This is like, this is, they're like, we, we can get the Jews off our back. I mean, not the Jews. We can get the Romans off our backs and we, we can become a powerful nation if we can make this guy our king. And so they have this plan and Jesus, he, he, like, he like withdraws because that's not the reason why he came. This miracle that he did, feeding of the 5,000, would have rocked their world. And so they wanted to find Jesus. But you see, this is the lesson that Jesus had for them. Because the way, that the, the way and the reason that they were seeking Jesus was wrong, their motivation was wrong, and their understanding of who he is was wrong. It was way off. And this is important because there may be people, like this lesson here is that there may be people that go to church for decades and still not know Jesus the way that Jesus needs to be known. They were seeking him solely to make their lives better, their material, physical lives better. They, they not only saw the miracle, but they were also part of it, right? So they're like, man, like, like this guy, he's our answer. He's our answer to everything. And I believe that Jesus doesn't do anything bootleg, right? Bootleg, I mean, when I say the word, you use the word bootleg, I'm thinking like inferior, right? He doesn't do anything that's inferior. When he, when he turned water into wine, right? He's like, like, like the guy comes out and he's like, man, like people usually serve the good stuff first. And then when everybody's all plastered and drunk, they bring out the bad stuff and they're not even going to notice, even if it's Kool-Aid. They're like, ah, it's good, right? Right, but then, but then you, 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 you save the best for last till now, right? So I believe that what Jesus does is never, never inferior. It's always the best, and this is just my belief. But I believe that the when he multiplied the food, the barley loaves and the fish that they ate was probably the best bread and fish they'd had in their lives. This is like mm, this tastes amazing, right? It's like this bread, this is like, like a miracle, right? It's like these. Sardines taste like lobsters, you know, like I'll bet you it was because he's just when he does something, I believe he does it to perfection, right? Like if he's going to make multiply food, it's going to be the bomb, right? And so these people, they've had their fill. They've had their fill and, and they're, they're after Jesus, like after Jesus reveals to them, they've had this like belly full of good food. And all they can think about is how well fed they were and they wanted to take Jesus by force, make him king. And they were just thinking about their livelihood, right? About the benefits to their earthly lives. They don't really know Jesus, and they don't really have a desire to know Jesus. But Jesus, he knew this, so he slips out. He goes into the mountains, because that's not why Jesus came. And here, after the, the people eventually find him, he's in front of the masses again. He's in front of the great crowds that would gather around him. Right, he he teaches them this lesson. They, verse twenty six says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you are all seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves." 
to not work for not work for f- the food that perishes, but for the food that inter- endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Now remember in Romans, I mean John 5, Jesus says the reason why he does miracles, the reason why he does the signs that he does is so that they, people will know that he is from the Father, right? that, he, that, that the Father had sent him. And so Jesus is telling them, to not think with their stomachs. Don't think with your bellies, right? Don't think with your worldly mind. Don't think with and, 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 and think and feel and try to understand things based on your flesh or your earthly mindset, but to think and seek that which can save and fill the soul. And this is the lesson that, that kind of reverberates throughout the book of John, is, is that it's not about the natural mind. It's not about the natural things. But it's about the spiritual mind and the spiritual things and the soul and the feeding and saving of our soul, which is so much more important. Remember when when uh, he goes to the the Samaritan woman at 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 the well, right? Right. Jesus is talking about like spiritual thing, and she's like, "Where's your bucket? You don't have a bucket. You can't give me no water without a bucket, right?" Jesus is talking about spiritual things up here, spiritual like worship and spirit and truth, and she's like, "You don't have a bucket." Where's your bucket? Right? Same with Nicodemus. Right? He's like, you must be born again. And he's like, how the heck is a guy going to be born again? Is he going to like shrink himself down and go back into his mother's womb? Right? He's thinking on this natural level. And Jesus is always trying to meet them in the place of the spirit. So he's telling him, don't think with your stomach. Don't think with your worldly minds. And think and seek the things of the spirit that lead to eternal life. Jesus is saying that his ministry is not about feeding your bellies or giving them the things that they want. But it's so much more than that. It's giving them the thing that they need. Every human being has a need that no matter what they do in this life, they can fulfill on their own. And he's trying to show them that what this need is. And so Jesus, and so the Jews respond to Jesus. He's like, what must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? It almost seems like they're getting it, right? It almost seems like they're meeting him in that place of the Spirit. And then Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. So they said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He, he, he gave them bread from heaven. They go right back into thinking with their stomachs again, right? They're like, you know, like uh, you know, Moses gave us bread, like our fathers, uh, bread in the wilderness. What, what are you going to give for us, right? They're, they're thinking with that my, earthly mind again. And so Jesus tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, if not, it, was, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you, but my father gives you the bread, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always, right? And you think, maybe they're getting it. Right? Maybe they're, they're starting to meet Jesus in that place of the Spirit. But they're still talking about bread. They're still talking about filling their stomachs. They're still talking about their earthly needs. You know, Because that would solve everything, right? If we can have bread, if we ate it and we were never hungry again, that would, that would solve the, you know, the, the food problem for good. 
If that could happen, like our, we would save so much money. Our kids being home every day, seven days a week, feeding them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. When they don't go to school, it's getting expensive, right? And it's tiresome. I got to make lunch every day. You know, Mina goes off to work. I've been feeding. I got to prepare the kids lunch, and I've been like, I've been feeding them the same thing every day, right? Like kogi and rice, kogi and rice, right? Let's solve this problem for good. And they're still thinking on this earthly level, in this world, worldly, filling their stomach level. They still don't get it. And, and let me tell you, I consider myself a charismatic Christian. I believe in the spiritual gifts. I believe in God. Still does miracle signs and wonders today. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. is isn't just a ticket to heaven, but the power of the Holy Spirit is for him to reside and remain in us so that he empowers us and he fills us up. And I, I believe in all of those things, but I believe that we can experience the supernatural aspects of God and still encounter Jesus in a natural way. It's possible. I've seen hundreds of people do it. I've seen people seek out the spiritual things of God, the supernatural like things of God in the spirit. They see miracles. They see signs. They see wonders. But they continue to still encounter Jesus in a natural way. You can experience all the signs and wonders, but still see, not see Jesus right. And so Jesus tells them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. They've seen the signs and wonders. They've seen him do miracles, and yet they still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And here Jesus spells it out to them. That the reason why I'm here, the reason why I came so that you will know that the Father sent me and that you will believe in me and that you have eternal life. And so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came, from, came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? He's like, isn't this Jesus? We already know this guy, right? He's from Nazareth. Like, nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? I compare Nazareth to like Compton and where I grew up, right? I remember thinking, like, nobody went to Compton, right? It's, it's too scary. It's like, that's what Nazareth was. It was like, like, like the, the area that like, you know, like nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It's, he's that dude. Everybody knows him. How is he going to say that he is the, the bread that came down from heaven? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered him, do not grumble among yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Right? So uh, if, you read, if you study church history, you know that like early on in Christianity, right, Christians are considered to be cannibals. And this, it, it comes from this. It comes from people like, like, like you know, Jesus is speaking in metaphors. And they like take it seriously with their you know, natural minds. And then it says that the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And people are just like, like they're, they're in the crowd, and they're like, What's this dude talking about, right? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father who... So whoever feeds on me will also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum, right? And so Jesus is like like freaking people out. But then nothing is wasted with Jesus. And he chooses this one subject matter that everyone listening can relate to and is invested in. And they all got a, a sample of it yesterday in the feeding of the 5,000. And they got, to, they got to eat their fill of it. And he chooses a subject of bread. He's like, Jesus is like a poet. He's a master communicator. He's so simple and yet so profound. And he's trying to bring a separation and a distinction in the thinking and the agenda of the Jews and, and, and what he had, like the reason why he came and why he's speaking to them. You know, he's, he, he's talking about satisfaction. Right? We all want satisfaction. And the Jews had one understanding of satisfaction and Jesus had a completely different understanding of satisfaction. The Jews had one understanding of bread, the crumbly biscuits that they would eat every day of their lives. But Jesus is talking about the bread that comes from heaven. And he says that this bread gives life. And here, here's the meat of what Jesus is trying to get at. You see, like, if you, if you study the Hebrew, or if you study the Greek, there's, there's two words for life in the, in the, in the Greek. In ancient Greek, in in our times, and you know, in our understanding, we just have one word, life, right? Life. You know, I have life. He's alive, right? Life. But in the Greek, there's two words to describe life. There's bios, which is physical life, which is where we get the word biology, and words like biodome, which is a horrible movie. If you've ever seen it, you'll know. Right? And so there's like the word bio is talking about physical life. Biology is the study of physical life, right? Well, there is also another word in the Greek that talks about life, and it's called zoe. Right? A lot of people, we know, name their kids zoe. That word zoe is from the, the Greek word zoe, which means life. And the Greek word that Jesus uses throughout the gospel when he talks about life and when he talks about eternal life, it's zoe. It's not bios, right? And the word zoe doesn't refer to physical life, but to the quality of life, 
We all have bios, but not everybody has Zoe. Zoe is a quality or an abundance of life. In the Greek lexicon, it's described as the absolute fullness of life. And so bios refers to our physical life. If I eat a taco, I chew it in my mouth, I swallow it, it goes down my esophagus, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a uh, Russell Peters comedy bit where he talks, he, he makes fun of the way that his, his dad says the word esophagus, and it's hilarious. Like, was it you where I was crying at the house? Uh, I, I was talking, was it Molly? <laughs> Remember I was crying because I was laughing so hard? You guys should check it out. But if, if I eat a taco, right, if I go to a taco truck, I eat a taco, I chew it in my mouth, I swallow it, it goes down my esophagus, my stomach acid starts to break it up, it goes into my intestines, and then all of the, the minerals and the nutrition and the enzymes and the vitamins get absorbed through my my you know intestines and it goes through my blood and it's it starts to fuel and empower every aspect of my body right that's that's bios that's biology it keeps me alive it's the physical life that i have and then there's zoe and the closest way that i can describe like the best way to describe zoe is like we took a vacation to vietnam in february and we were uh, the last flight out of korea that did not get quarantined it was like the miracle of God. It was the miracle of God because we got in and we we're so nervous. We we're like, oh, if we're going to get quarantined. Like, oh, you may go. And we're like, ah. And then the very next day, we read in the news that like there's 200 Korean people from Korea from Busan that got quarantined at the Vietnam airport. And so we got in and then we were like in Vietnam. And first of all, Vietnam is amazing because weather is great. The beaches are great. But the food is dirt cheap. It's like average meal costs like $2, right? And it's amazing. And so it's like this guilt-free vacation. We're going everywhere. We're just like eating, like, ah, you know, like anything, like banh mi and like pho. And it's just like, we're just loving it. We rent these scooters. I know it's dangerous, but we take these scooters with our kids in the front. And we drive all throughout Da Nang. And we're just like having this amazing time. I remember like riding the scooter by the ocean with my kid in the front, Mina in the scooter behind me. And we're just riding. And, and, and I'm just thinking, man, this is the life. This is the life. And that's what Zoe is. It is like a, it's the quality of life. It's, 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 it's how abundant and how full our life is. That's Zoe. It's the quality of life. And, and Jesus says that he came so that we may have eternal life, eternal Zoe, an abundant life. People think that Jesus came so that we could have eternal existence. Right? Eternal existence, we all have it. You know that every person in this room has eternal existence. Right? Even the non-Christians out there have eternal existence. We have a soul. A soul lives on forever into eternity, either in heaven with God and with love and with everything that's good because everything good and everything love and everything joyful and peaceful comes from God or we live eternally. We exist eternally in hell where there's separation for God. And there's nothing that is love. And there's nothing that is good. And there's nothing that is of joy. Right? That's what heaven is. You know, that picture of you, you know, like, it really, imagine, that's so much more scarier for me than, like, the, the cartoon of hell that we used to see as a kid. Right? It's just, as I grew up, I realized more of, like, man, separation from anything that is of love eternally, that is terrifying, right? But we all have, we all have eternal existence but Jesus says that he came so that we can have eternal life. He 
eternal zoe. And it's, it's this fullness and this abundance of life. Eternally, all joy, all peace, all goodness, all love. And Jesus says that if we take this bread, which is him, which is his life and his flesh and his blood, and, and we eat it and we, we, we ingest it, right, that we will have this eternal life. We will have this eternal Zoe. And, and the Jews back then, they were, they were seeking Jesus in a way where they were seeking Zoe from him, but in such an earthly way. It was such a natural way. You know, it was, their goal was to get Rome off their backs, become a country again, become a kingdom again, so that they wouldn't have to pay taxes to Caesar. You know, and then Jesus can multiply food in all of our lives. You know, in Jerusalem and in Judea would be the bomb, right? And they were going after a counterfeit Zoe. They were after going after a counterfeit fullness of life that they can have in this world. And I want to ask you today, what are the things that we go after that we think will bring this kind of zoe into our life? What are the things in our life that we, 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 we try to get so that you're like, hey, this is going to make my life better? You know, right off the top of the bat is money, right? So many people think if you have money, it's going to make my, my life so much better. Including a lot of Christians out there, they think that money will bring them zoe. I'm not saying that Christians aren't supposed to be rich, right? There's, you know, Christians can be rich. It's just that money can't be our zoe, right? If money becomes what fulfills us, we got it twisted and we got it wrong. Popularity. You know, people out there actually spend money, like hundreds of dollars, so that they can learn how to get more Instagram followers and Instagram likes. That blew my mind. When I saw that, this lady came out and was like, are you having trouble getting Instagram likes? And then she's telling like, you could pay for this subscription and she'll teach you how to get more likes on Instagram. I was like, I can't believe this is actually a service that they offer, right? How can this be? But you see, this world is filled with people that is trying to find Zoe out in the world, out of the things that they can find out there. People look for Zoe in the way they look. It's crazy how many plastic surgery offices are in Korea. I was in the subway, and there was an ad where it was, like, crowded, and I was standing up, and right in front of me was this ad, before and after of plastic surgery. And all of the faces after look exactly the same, right? They all start to look similar. But it's, it's posted in the subway. People think that they can find this out in the world, this, this fullness of life, and ultimately... The Bible tells us, and the Word of God tells us, that it will all fade away. It will all not satisfy us, and it will all disappoint us. And it will leave us, like, broken and tired and exhausted. Sometimes people seek Jesus, but they seek him in the wrong way, like the Jews sought him. They see him as just a means to an end. Yeah, I go to church. It's because I want my kids to grow up with morals. I want my kids to have, like, be able to have a, you know, morality in their life. Yeah, I go to church, you know, so that, you know, like, I can, I can have a, a good marriage. So that my, my wife is more subservient to me. You know, like, whatever it is, people seek Jesus in ways where it actually isn't the way that he's supposed to be sought. 
For when Jesus, for what Jesus is offering them and us in Zoe, and it's true Zoe, it's true because it's a life with God in this life and it's life with God in eternity. Right? And the distinction that Jesus makes here is the way that we receive Jesus. The key is eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That sounds barbaric. That sounds like crazy. That has to be a metaphor, and it is. I believe that Jesus purposely made this image very hard to take. He uses this language on purpose, right? Eating his flesh and drinking his blood, right? I believe he did it on purpose. is because it's not easy. It's not actually easy to encounter Jesus It's not easy to allow him to rule in our lives. It's not easy to allow him and take him in the way that he is worthy of. It's not easy. It's not not supposed to be easy. Jesus said the the way is narrow and the road is like, like, like the gate is narrow and and the road is long. It's, It's not, it's not supposed to be easy for us to follow Jesus. He never said that following him was going to be easy. All these people, there's thousands of people. I don't know if you've seen a thousand people in front of you. There's a lot of people, right? When you go out the head on the beach and in the dead of summer, there's still, you don't see a thousand people in front of you, right? You see maybe about like two, three hundred people in your, in your, you know, view frame, wherever you're looking out. You, it's hard to see a thousand people in front of you. Imagine thousands of people following Jesus. And he's like, like we, we want what he has, right? But none of them is able to receive Jesus in the way that he's worthy of. That's why he uses his language, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Because it's not easy. Jesus, at the Last Supper, he breaks the bread, he pours the wine, he tells them that they are eating his flesh and drinking his blood that is sacrificed for them. This is very personal. This is very intimate, right? If me and Mina were stuck out in some kind of, like, desert land and we're starving... I'll tell her, you can eat me if I die. I'm not going to let anybody eat me, right? Some strangers, like, eat me, you know? Like, this is actually a very, like, intimate moment that he has with his disciples. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to be broken for you, right? I'm going to be broken for you. And he's like, I'm going to the cross, guys. They're going to come take me. They're going to break me down, and they're going to nail me to a cross, and I'm going to die. But as that happens, right, you got to take all of me in. You have to receive me. It's not just something that you carry around in your pocket. Right? But you got to, you have to ingest it. That's why he uses his language. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Because Jesus is not supposed to be something that you carry around with you in your pocket. He's not an app that you have in your phone. You turn it on when you need him. You turn it off when you No, we're supposed to have Jesus in us. We're supposed to take him in. This is a very intimate relational process that he's talking about. And then none of the Jews out there that were, that were following him, they're like, hey, dude, I heard he's making bread, man. I'm going to follow this guy. And when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're like, peace out, I'm gone, right? But how many people do we have in this world that will meet Jesus on that level of like, hey, he has some good, good points. I think he makes some good arguments. But then when Jesus actually tells them, hey, this is what you're supposed to do with life. I'm supposed to rule and reign inside of your heart so that everything that you do comes out from a place where you are in submission to my will and to my spirit. That is eternal life. And people will be like, oh, I'm gone, man. I'm going to go to the club tonight. I can't. 
This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about rule and reign in our lives. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. How offensive does that sound to people? People are getting grossed out. They're thinking it's like, oh, like... They're cannibals, right? Christians actually were considered cannibals. Early Christian history, look it up. They thought Christians were cannibals. They're all talking about like, oh, eating Jesus' flesh, right? But that he uses this, this, this really disturbing image because what it is, it's supposed to be so, like, so intimate and so, like, relational is that when we eat food, it goes into our stomachs and it, it empowers every aspect of our lives. My hair grows because I ate something yesterday. Do you know that? Yeah, I could do this because I ate something yesterday. If I didn't eat anything, like for the last, like how many months, I would not be able to do this, right? I can do this because I ate, like what did I eat yesterday? I forget, I don't even know. But the food that we ingest empowers our lives, right? The food that we take in, like, like becomes a part of how we live our lives. Physically, in the same way, Jesus is saying this, dude, you're not supposed to just receive me in this level where you think you're gonna take, you're gonna try to use me so that I can become your king, so that I can make some food for you, so you can get the Romans off your backs, and you can have a country again. No, that's not why I came to this world. I didn't come here to make your life better in this world right now. Just for that, I came so that I can be inside you, that I can reside in you, so that as you live your life in this world, you live in the fullness of what I have for you. You live in Zoe, in this life and in the life to come, eternally. That's what Jesus is saying. And yet, it says later on in John 6, it says that a lot of the disciples that were following him, they heard this, and they couldn't take it, and they stopped following him. They're like, what did he say? Eat eat eat, Eat him and drink his blood? This is a hard saying. This is a hard word to take. I don't know if I can. I, I don't know if I can follow this guy. And they stop following him. And then Jesus asks his disciples, "Like, do you feel the same way?" And they're like, "You have the words of eternal life." You see the difference in how they respond. You see the difference of what it is when we come in down to us when we start to encounter Jesus in a spiritual level, where we actually are able to connect by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We connect with God in the Spirit. We see things. And we understand things in a completely radical way, completely different way. The disciples heard what the same thing that they heard and said, you have the words of eternal life. Why would we ever stop following you? He is the bread of life that comes from heaven. And I want to ask you today, is he truly in you? Is he truly what's guiding and and, and, and propelling and, and motivating and the unction in your life, is he coming from him residing in you? Are, you? are you allowing him to sustain you? Are you allowing him to nourish you, to permeate into your inner being? Are you taking in the word of God? Are you in relationship with him, speaking with him and hearing from him in prayer? Because only then are we able to have and live in that Zoe that God has for us. The life the Zoe that he means for us to have. It can sound very offensive and and to a lot of people out there when they think about, when they talk about Jesus, people get offended. Jesus, he didn't come to to please everyone. 
He came to save us. He came to so that we can have this eternal life. And it means that we really have to take Jesus in, eat of his flesh, and drink of his blood. It's not a simple matter of just carrying him around. It's not a, it's not a matter of just like, yeah, I have Jesus. He's in, I think he's in my back pocket. Yeah, right there. I got Jesus right there. Yeah, it's Jesus. I have him. I'm not going to take him to the club, but, you know, I'll leave him at home. But I mean, he's in my pocket. No, that's not Jesus. You have, you, you have religion in your pocket. You have religion in your backpack. And Jesus says, hey, if you, if you want me, you got to take me in. I have to be in you. Let's pray.